Hi, this is Horacio Perez Sánchez, and I welcome you to the podcast Researching the Research, the podcast where we will talk about research and researchers, how research is carried out in academia and industry, and we will interview researchers to understand how they do their discoveries and how they live, suffer, and enjoy all the stages of their scientific career. And we will also talk about productivity techniques to improve these processes. We will also highlight and comment about last worldwide research and impact news in all fields. And in addition, we will talk not only about academic research, but also about technology transfer and how research is performed in startups and industry. Good morning, good evening, good night. That depends uh, where you are listening the podcast from. Uh, today, we have the pleasure to have here in our podcast, Homa Dano from Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. Hello, Omar. Hi. And thanks a lot for accepting this, this invitation. It's, uh, it's, it's really a pleasure. Okay, so would you please introduce yourself a little bit? All right, so uh, my name is Romain Dano. I'm a scientist at Karlsruhe Institute of Technology. I'm a physicist by training, and uh, I'm working in Karlsruhe since 2008. And uh, yeah, so I'm working mainly on on mm -hmm. physics of graphene, uh, mm -hmm. but also connecting graphene with uh, superconducting materials and and looking at their properties at very low temperature. So I'm I'm what one called a quantum transport uh, specialist or low temperature physicist. Okay, very interesting. And could you uh, could you make a brief summary? For the general audience, what is the relevance or the of, of some practical applications of these technologies? Well, graphene was uh, actually uh, uh, isolated uh, something like sixteen years ago, something like this, and um, nowadays it has some like let's say practical application, uh, somewhat in in various. Uh, domain um, but let's say it's 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 a very specific material which is a single layer of of, of carbon atoms uh, disposed in a, in a hexagonal lattice and they have really uh, funny properties and it's really a single atomic atom so it's 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 the first purely two-dimensional uh, material that was really isolated and, and yeah, so so your research uh, moves around this material, graphene. Is, is that correct? So it's it's about two-dimensional uh, materials that you uh, that you isolate and pile them on top of each other. So we also work with so graphene is uh, is conducting material, and we usually try to isolate it uh, in between two non-conductive material. Uh, namely, actually, uh, hexagonal boron nitride. Okay, and what what is that useful for? Well, it's uh, it's um, it has a very yeah. I'm, I'm really uh, trying to look at the 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 electronic transport, how the electrons propagate into the material, and uh, it it can be a very clean system. So the, you can really look at. Um, uh, 
transport of electrons uh, in a ballistic way. So when they do not encounter any uh, inelastic scattering, and um, so yeah, it's it's quite specific. So you don't see that into that mm. many uh, uh, materials, let's say. Okay, and this and this property, so that electrons or this kind of particles can, let's say, run freely into the material. Which advantages provide to materials in in real life, in practical life, that that we can see every day? Well, let's say me, I'm 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 I'm, I'm more into trying to to make them superconducting, so they really um, do not. Uh, undergo any uh, dissipation. So um, you know that basically when a, a, a power plant produces electricity, when mm -hmm. it finally ends up to your house to turn on your light or things like this, uh, the old what was produced uh, from this power plant, 30% is lost. So imagine okay. that... Uh, uh, if you have a superconducting materials that carry the electricity, there would be just no loss. Oh, no loss. That would be really great. And are there any plans? Are there any plans at the moment in order to change this current uh, power infrastructure in order to change it for materials like graphene? Is that possible? No, no, no. Because graphene is actually not a superconducting material. So okay. uh, me, I try, so you, may, you might be able to connect graphene with a material that is superconducting. Of course, unfortunately, superconductivity only appears at low temperature or more or less mm. low temperature. Mm -hmm. So you can induce superconductivity in a material over a certain distance. Okay. So what you can do with graphene is actually to tune its conductivity with a with a third electrode called gate, and uh, mm -hmm. which is exactly the same principle as a transistor, basic component of a, of a microprocessors, for example. And um, so you can indeed, if you can induce superconductivity in this material, you can also tune the superconductivity in the material with this uh, extra electrode. Okay, so it, it could be translated so that um, a, a relevant material can be kind of mixed with graphene in order to improve its uh, properties? Let's say, I wouldn't say that it improves the property. It's, it changes its property. Ah. It, it, you, you, you make graphene uh, very, it, it is by definition a very tunable system. And, mm -hmm. and in, 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 in the case of, of my research, it's really uh, turning it uh, to a superconducting system that is highly tunable. You can make it superconducting and not superconducting. Okay, very, very interesting. So uh, uh, in which domain do you, could, could you say that it's been used uh, really a lot at the moment in, in practical real life applications? Uh, so in real in practical applications, uh, 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 I cannot tell you that there is any real practical applications. But in terms of for, for scientists, you can design very uh, uh, like single photon detectors. So imagine that uh, you have a, a detector that can really detect a single uh, photon um, 
that that is possible with this material. It's very sensitive up to the point that you can detect one only one photon. Oh, that's that's one of the application of this this sort of uh, uh, devices. Oh, that looks impressive. And now go, going to your research. Now that we understand the relevance of these materials, uh, can you summarize? Uh, how do you uh, do your research about graphene? What do you do? Do you try to uh, to use in in, uh, in addition to other materials, or do you study some specific properties of graphene? So a, a bit both. As a, as a scientist, uh, you try to to actually let's say prepare a certain experiment. Sometimes uh, you get what you wanted. But actually, most very often you, you don't get what you want, and you have to yeah. understand what you are doing. And uh, so that's also a large part of the work we do is to try to understand what we what really actually happens. Me, I'm I'm doing very fundamental physics, so it's it's uh. a, it's a bit far from application. Um, mm. But yeah, so um, I'm 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 really trying to use graphene as a as a medium uh, mm -hmm. for superconductivity, as a tunable medium, because you can design different small circuits um, that are highly tunable, thanks to mm -hmm. graphene. Uh, oh. But on the other hand, sometimes we obtain, uh, let's say, not necessarily expected uh, results, which are really due to the, the specific properties of graphene. Then, then we tackle really fundamental properties of the material itself. So it, it really depends. So either we use the, the just the faculty of graphene of being extremely tunable from mm -hmm. something that conducts very well to something that does not conduct at all, uh, to really tackling uh, uh, very specific uh, uh, inner properties of, of graphene. Mm. So it, it, it really depends. It's a bit. It's kind of like uh, twofold. Twofold, right? And as you said, as you said, sometimes uh, you plan a experiment. You have some hypothesis, and then you do the experiment, and either things don't work, or you obtain unexpected results. Etc. This is what happens to me on my research most of the times. Uh, could you could you mention some some example in which you obtain totally unexpected results and then it turn into something relevant or interesting? Yeah. Well. <clears throat> okay. So, um, for example, uh, not so long time ago, I uh, I asked my uh, student to prepare a, a given device with specific, let's say, uh, specs and. Um, and in the end, it turns out that um, the device had a very, uh, let's say, special characteristics that we did not expect. Mm -hmm. And instead of uh, focusing on what we planned, uh, we actually switched completely to the to to uh, almost another dimension, and we exploited mm. this for uh, for actually really long. So we 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 did. Probe the, the the device uh, in 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 uh, in many ways, but mm -hmm. really only based on these very specific um, uh, characteristics mm -hmm. that that we did not plan at all. So 
It's a bit difficult to really explain that uh, in a very uh, general term, but uh -huh. it's it's really it, you have to be pragmatic and really uh, try to tackle uh, uh, something that uh, that that is interesting, yeah. that is really not expected, and uh, sometimes it happens. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it it may keep you right. busy because indeed, since it wasn't planned, you really mm -hmm. have to do much more effort to understand really what you're doing, what you what you finally see if you see something completely new. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not like you base your research on a for 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 from for our side. It's more like we have a, a theoretical paper that predict this or this, and we try to figure out whether these these predictions were right or not. Mm -hmm. or, yeah, and and we try to do it, and but in the end we obtain possibly what was expected, possibly something different, possibly something that we actually cannot reach because. Theorists they make calculation that sometimes are <laughs> far from reality. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's um, uh, so you try to 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 exploit uh, um, a result that you did not expect, mm -hmm. and that's usually when things are, let's say, the most difficult for a scientist. I would I would say, at least to yeah, me. because you you yeah. have to make, for example, or you have to ask a theorist. To make the yeah. model for you to explain or to find an explanation about what you have observed, and uh, so it's not right. it's not necessarily uh, it's it's actually not easy. No, no, it's not easy at all. It's not easy at all. But as as you said, uh, from from a point of view, it can be very interesting. Um, okay, you make some prediction. I'm also let's say theoretician. I make some prediction about what I think is going to happen that somebody measures something in the lab, and then what is measured is totally different from my prediction. How can I feel? I don't feel bad. I mean, this is just what happens. This is reality. This is science. Then yeah. from my point of view, one should analyze and try, try to understand why my prediction didn't work so that I improve my model or, or, or anything. And, and I mean, I can be very, it can be very, very interesting. The main problem I see is the following. That I don't know if it happens to, to you. Uh, when you apply to grants and, and, and you have a project, uh, you uh, you plan the project. Uh, I mean, I, I talk, I'm talking about some of my examples. Two years ago, I applied to the funding agency and then the project is going on. But you have uh, we we have to follow exactly that plan, so we cannot deviate from the plan, even if, even if we find something interesting, which is something that I don't really like. Because sometimes this unexpected result, uh, if you can expend some of the resources of the project into that direction, can lead to way more interesting results at the end. So that's my that's my impression. But I would like to have um, that scientists could have more, more more resources in order to sometimes, uh, 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 let's say, explore these unexpected sea situations. I don't know yeah, what is your, your, your opinion. Yeah, well, <clears throat> let's say uh, uh, when you work within a, a, a project and you have a certain targets to reach, of course, um, politicians that provide you the money to do your research also know that uh, well you expect to see something but you actually may not 
reach the, the, the point you wanted. But usually in grant application, you also uh, should provide uh, some sort of intermediate goals. And uh, these intermediate goals can, can bring you some also uh, uh, results that you can exploit, which are not the final target, but uh, uh, that is something that is, let's say, satisfying enough. And right. that you can, um, yeah, let's right. say, in the end, uh, the, 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 the funding agency are, let's say, uh, of course, they want you to, to do your plan, but they also are aware that uh, you may try to do something extremely challenging uh, in a given uh, limited time. And sometimes you have been a bit too optimistic somewhat, or or like, I don't know, COVID appear and mm -hmm. things are yeah. delayed, or I don't know. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, you don't know what, what may happen in your life. And, uh, but they, they want to make sure that you can have these sort of intermediate results that you can exploit that are also very interested, even though they are not really the final target that you try to reach. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. I. I totally agree. And, so, and I think this, what you said, is a very important advice. Uh, if, if you if you um, apply to some grant, just to put some some lines about uh, that you could follow in principle some unexpected deviation if it could lead to a, some interesting result, of course. But, uh, but uh, trying to accomplish first uh, this milestone, this, uh, these things that you propose at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very important. And uh, yeah, and as you said before, uh, um, I'm not going to tell you about this because this is going to be very technical. Anyway, ca can you tell us a little bit this what happened with you and your studying in, in technical details? Probably there is something in the audience that will be interested in this. Uh, Just as, it, as if we were physicists in, in, in your field. In my field? So uh, uh, let's say <clears throat> I, I, I consider myself being really a, a, what I call a low temperature physicist. So I, I worked uh, at low temperature though then mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, actually at millikelvin temperature. So very close to the absolute wow. zero. And for that you need, you need specific uh, equipment. So namely mm -hmm. a cryostat, actually even namely a dilution refrigerator. And wow. uh, so we play with a, a system that can bring what you try to probe uh, close to the absolute uh, zero. Mm -hmm. And of course you don't probe something uh, at this extremely low temperature as you do that in uh, at, at room temperature. Mm -hmm. Because as you, try to probe your device, you inject a bit of current, and of mm -hmm. course, current actually uh, uh, dissipates. And uh, of course, if you, if you have a heat in your device, well, you will, you will heat up uh, the entire uh, system and uh, well, you won't be at low temperature. So you really have specific techniques. You have to use extremely low noise electronics. You have mm -hmm. to use extremely Tiny, tiny signals to avoid the heat of your of your device, and uh, yeah, so everything oh. has to be under control. It's it's quite technical, 
and it really you have to develop some some uh, some electronics sometimes your own electronics mm -hmm. uh, your amplifiers your amplifiers you may want to bring them at low temperature to to reduce the noise of it the noise that can be uh, directly reflected to your measurements so mm -hmm. it's um, it's uh, yeah it's quite some some technical work that you have to to handle so it's it, not it, like it, it, purely necessarily plug and play thing you, you yeah, really yeah, yeah. i guess i guess but it looks really i mean it looks really really complicated i mean because it's very difficult to reach the uh, the zero uh, zero kelvin it's it's impossible according to third <laughs> principle of thermodynamics it's impossible but but you have all these problems because i don't know you set up this system and some car is in the street moving just going on and it can affect your your, your measurements uh, i mean it can be really complicated um is this by the way this, the same system or infrastructure in which quantum computers work exactly so uh, most of the uh, the system that uh, at least the solid state uh, quantum computing or the, the solid state qubits mm. they are cooled down to to milli kelvin temperature so to really a uh, few tenths of uh, of uh, of degrees close to the, the mm. absolute zero so yes more, uh, let's say um, um, you really need to avoid uh, having a thermal excitation in your system. So you have to go to very low temperature. On top of that, the so far, uh, the, the, the best uh, qubits, the best uh, uh, series of qubits that are made of uh, superconductors. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that you really have to be at very low temperature for, for oh. the material you are using. So, so does it mean that, that the the research that you do could be potentially applied to quantum computing systems? One could say that, yes, somewhat. Oh. But it's, 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 really, uh, it's really, you know, it's a bit like uh, looking at uh, new transistors for a microprocessor. So microprocessor has billion, billions of, of, of uh, transistors mm -hmm. in it. So I'm at the level of a single transistor okay. with respect to the microprocessor. So it's really uh, very specific. Okay. And in your in your research, um, one of the problems, as I can understand, is um, the setup of this infrastructure of this cryogenic system. Uh, but is, is that the main limitation? Apart apart from the money for for research, of course, that is this <laughs> some some problem that we that we all have. But is that the, the main problem, or the or are there others that that limit that limit your your, your research? Mm, well, of course, the, the technique. Let's say technically speaking, you always have uh, limitations. For example, uh, for me, temperature is not a limit, but it could be if I would like to go to a lower temperature for whatever reason. I I I cannot. I, I can go to a certain temperature, but mm -hmm. not below. So that below. would be, uh, there are some cert certain things that I, I just cannot do uh, that limits what I, what I want to do. But mm -hmm. also on the, on the device fabrication, because it's, uh, in, in, in my field, it's really, you design the, your device, your small electronic circuits, and then you probe it. 
and 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 the, these two things are, um, are are not easy. So and they are both are very technical. So you mm -hmm. you first have to uh, use. Uh, in our case, it's it's what we call micro or nano fabrication, like uh, the the basically techniques that are commonly used in uh, in uh, by the microelectronic industries. And uh, so we design very very tiny circuits, and then we have to connect these circuits, and we have to connect these circuits to our um, cryostat. We cool the cryostat down, and we can measure it at at this low temperature, and uh, and then you need a very specific electronics, very specific techniques to to, to probe these uh, these uh, these sort of transistors. Okay, it looks uh, complicated. <laughs> it, let's well, say it's it's um, it's a long process. Let's say, of course, it's it's. I would not say that that complicated uh, to some extent, but uh, of course, it's uh, a lot of things to do. Mm -hmm. You have to be very careful. Uh, no, we all carry charges in our body. And uh, one thing you yeah. should avoid is to uh, discharge yourself into your device because it will suddenly <laughs> have a large amount of current flowing through it, and you may just blow it up. Okay. <laughs> wow. So you have to you have to be careful. You have to to let's say ground yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. and don't touch a large piece of of metal. Uh, no. Right. Uh, I don't know if you if you you if you open your your computer. Uh, yeah. your motherboard you also have to be careful because it's it's actually full of electronic right. devices that you can blow up just by actually touching touching it and uh, because you have <laughs> you have charges and and the potential difference between you and and the, the device uh, might be uh, deadly to your <laughs> to your computer okay so. we will take care that the next time that we that we work with our supercomputer. <laughs> okay. And this question would be, uh, what do you think are the, the, the next uh, breakthroughs or the main uh, research directions that will uh, go in the next decade in our field? I mean, I guess one of them is related with quantum computing, but, uh, but you are not on quantum computing. You are in the study of these systems. Uh, what do you think is what is going to come in the next years? Well, let's say, um, yeah, somewhat. Uh, let quantum computing is uh, is of course one field that receives a lot of uh, funding at the moment. Ah, right. Um, whether there will be a quantum computer working. Uh, anytime soon that I have no real clue. Um, but what what can come next? I'm I'm not fully sure. You know, it's um, it sometimes it's uh, it changes very quickly. Yeah, it depends on the the new discovery that may occur. Mm -hmm. uh, the new technologies sometimes progress comes from the the technology that is uh, that is being developed. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's um, I would say that's quite of an open question. So I'm let me I'm I'm working in a, yeah something that is 
what is called nowadays quantum technology. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's but I've been working on that before it became somewhat trendy. And okay. I guess I will most likely continue to work in this field uh, after it, it, <laughs> the fashion changes to something else. So I'm not fully sure. At the moment, for example, a lot of people are working on batteries, okay. and developing new batteries to to because of course um, we know for 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 electrical cars and. Um, right. And things like this, so things uh, should should change a lot. So lots of money also well, goes to batteries. So it's completely different to what I do, uh, mm-hmm. and I guess it's also something that that will be, you uh, know, uh, renewable energies and and things like this. Um, no, making better solar cells. Um, yeah, finding like new technologies. It's it's something that also can be very useful somewhat and uh, i guess that 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 will continue like this for a while okay okay and i have another question uh you know i'm a chemist a computational chemist but there is some chemistry here and there graphene is a material composed by carbon atoms in some specific uh let's say configuration okay but i i read just by chance that there are some other materials kind of similar to graphene, but which are not uh, composed by carbon atoms, but for silicium, beryllium, and some other atoms. What do you think about this? Is is kind of the same um, uh, properties, or do you think this is a, a promising research line? Uh, so you mean, for example, replacing uh, carbon by silicon? Yeah, and that, that that people call that silicon, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. So, as I'm not really sure if people have managed to really actually produce uh, uh-huh. a, a single layer of of uh, of uh, of uh, silicon. So uh, the thing is, graphene always existed because graphene is actually a single layer of what is called graphite. And graphite is in your pencil. Graphite right. has been used in a nuclear power plant. Uh, I mean, uh, you can mine graphite, but no one before uh, before uh, people in Manchester managed to really isolate uh, a single mm. layer of these atoms and 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 connect it and pass current through it. So they okay. were the best people to do that. As far mm-hmm. as I know, I don't think in the nature, uh, for example, silicon has its uh, two-dimensional um, uh, form uh, available. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, I don't think you can find it in the okay. nature. So I... for graphene, it was somewhat uh, natural. Okay. Okay. Because but I was, I, think... I was I was talking about uh, a bit earlier. I was talking about this uh, hexagonal brown nitride. Okay. And hexagonal brown nitride. It's it's actually almost exactly like like graphene, but instead of having carbon atoms, you have a boron atom and a nitride atom. Every you have you have these these atoms uh-huh. uh, uh, in the in the two uh, sublattices, and uh, mm. but they have. Absolutely different uh, electrical property. 
One is a, is a conductor, not the other. Okay. I think I read about this silicon. Uh, I don't know if this is borosin or this kind of stuff. Yes, uh, yes. In kind of computational papers. Uh, the, the, there is some researcher from the north of Spain called Angel Rubio, I would say, and he performs a lot of simulations and calculations in order to predict these, these properties. I mean, yeah, I know this yeah. I know I, I, I know this by chance, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, may, maybe people try to grow it. I'm not sure whether they, they actually grow it in a, I mean, they can really form some small islands, let's say really tiny islands made of, of, of these, uh, for example, silicon atoms disposed uh, in two dimension, uh, or they really managed to make a large film uh, mm -hmm. A large film, I actually really doubt. I, I don't remember seeing that. Uh, I guess I would have noticed it. But uh, mm -hmm. no, on, on, on two-dimensional uh, okay. materials, the, 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 it's this, this uh, transition metal decalcogenide that are uh, somewhat mm -hmm. uh, quite, quite popular at the moment still. Mm -hmm. uh, you, it's not exactly a single layer of atoms because the, it's not perfectly two-dimensional oh. somewhat. It's not really mm -hmm. a single layer of atoms, but uh, uh, there are some in, they have also some interesting properties, okay. at least by the fact that they are by, uh, let's say by, by, by uh, structure, uh, semiconductors, most of them. Okay. And another question, I'm, I'm very curious about this. Uh, sometimes you said that the only, um, that graphene is the only one that has been found in nature, but uh, you know, sometimes- uh, no, no, uh, 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 compared to this uh, silicon and- Ah, uh, okay. Uh, uh, no, no, um, uh, no, no, there, there, are, there are other to the materials you can find right. in nature. No, no, no. Right, but, but for instance, uh, you know, in this astrochemistry, People look at the stars, and then by spectroscopic studies, they they study the light that comes from the stars, and sometimes they detect some molecules. And I don't know if you know by chance if they have detected in in the interstellar space graphene, uh, at least as a fragment or something. If these I, structures, I don't know. <laughs> I actually think it has been observed. Yes. Carbon nanotubes, oh. I'm pretty sure, and I think graphene as well. Yeah. Wow. I actually, uh, I actually know uh, an astrophysicist working exactly in this kind of topics. Oh. Does it so mean I, there is there is alien life? <laughs> uh, well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Wow, it's an interesting discovery. Okay, yeah. so now, now, uh, can you tell us, Omar, um, when? Uh, Let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, as a researcher, uh, when did you decide in your career that you wanted to go into research? Uh, was it uh, while doing your PhD or before or later? Or, or well, when it happened? Uh, well, um, as far as I remember, uh, it, it, it came out, let's say, very progressively. I never planned really anything. I, I just took the opportunities mm. when they somewhat came to me or when I sort of provoked them. Mm -hmm. I guess it was at least uh, partly when I when I was 
like, let's say in middle of my PhD, when I I got lucky that things were working pretty well for me in a very early at very early stage, and uh, yeah, so I, I quickly decided to to try to stay in the academics, knowing that uh, I had to do a postdoc, so obtain my PhD, basically going somewhere else. Uh, so personally, I went abroad, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, I wanted to persuade myself that I was I, I was able to do research on my own, mm. somewhat. Okay, and, and, and I, I, I managed to persuade myself, and and of course, uh, unfortunately, uh, in the academic world, it's not because you want to to work in the academics that you actually work in the academic. So it's not because you want that you can. It's it's you have to you need to. It's about it's all about opportunities. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. That's that's very important. That's very important. But sometimes uh, people, uh, for instance, some uh, mostly PhD students, uh, they get a little bit, uh, in my experience, depressed because they they see uh, how long and difficult is the trajectory before you can get a permanent position as a scientist. So, so yeah, this is that, this is that, complicated. That is definitely a very long way, in particular in the country where I'm working on. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. I became uh, I became officially permanent scientist uh, fairly late, for sure, for sure. And so you have to accept this kind of uh, right of uh, of um, let's say. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's difficult when you have a family, when you right. when you, you even don't work in your in your own country. It's mm. no, it's it's definitely not not that easy. So at least I can tell you that in, in Germany, very very few students, at least as far as I can see in my institute, uh, go for a postdoc position after they obtain their PhD. Very few, very few. You you mean they they go mostly for industry? They go to industry, yes. And uh, okay, what... in in let's say in Germany, since there's there are quite a lot of jobs, at least uh, since I'm I'm in Germany. Uh, so far, uh, a student who obtained his PhD, it's not, it doesn't seem to be that hard to find to find a job in, in industry. But mm. in other countries, it's not that easy and so people end up to be uh, to have a postdoctoral position by default because they it, because it's just because they don't find a, a position in industry <laughs> i think that's not that's not super good but that's the no, way no, it's, it's not super good and that's the way it is okay and and before you said that you got a permanent position somehow late but what does late exactly mean <laughs> If we can ask. Uh, for me, I was 43. 43. Wow. Yeah, but this is kind of, uh, unfortunately, something normal, right? In Germany, it's uh, fairly common, I would say. It's fairly common. Right. Yeah. In wow. France, it would be quite, quite very late. Uh, I don't know anybody in France who got the uh, telling that because I'm French, but uh, I don't know anyone who got a permanent position in that at, at this age. 
uh, me, it was really some sort of like official age. Uh, uh, I, mm. got, I got to know that I was becoming permanent earlier than that. But uh, as long as you don't sign your contract, you right not, exactly. You're not fully <laughs> sure. <It's- laughs> exactly, exactly. And and you said before that uh, you 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 went abroad for for your research. In which countries did you do your your research? So I I, I moved to Australia first. Wow. And so I spent three three years in Sydney. So coming from uh, from Grenoble, so I did my PhD in Grenoble in France, and uh, I'm originally from Paris, so I studied in in Paris, and mm-hmm. so yeah, so a long way to go. So it was Hello. very it was very adventurous, somewhat, but also <laughs> some some sort of like a dream was coming true for me because I, uh, since I was uh, since I was a kid, I always dreamed about going to Australia and ah. I used to have the map of Australia uh, on the wall of my of my of my bedroom and um, <laughs> I always said to myself I will go there once ah okay that's good to, to have these uh, these objectives wow <laughs> so I got the opportunity to go there and I say okay let's go <laughs> I wasn't I, I, let's say um, nowadays if you want to stay in the academics, I would definitely not do things the way I did. I was a bit, uh, yeah, naive somewhat, but I, yeah, it turned yeah. out to be to be to be right, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be good for me. I had a very great ex- experience, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, I traveled quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But and why? But why do you say not not to try not to try to be naive? Well, because you know uh, when I said to people I went to Australia for a postdoc, people think that I studied surfing or something like this. Ah. So you know, it's, you know, it's more like a place for 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 holidays than than to do okay. to do low temperature physics. So it's, okay. it, it it was at least uh, very much like this uh, when I came back from there. Well, it's like mm. a lack of credibility. So let's okay. say you better go to a fairly renowned place if you want to sell yourself afterwards. I don't mm. know, in a fancy American university or right. a very renowned place. Uh, yeah, that, that, that will help you. Yeah, On the other hand, my, my, mm. my, my thought was more about um, I wanted to go to a... a uh, uh, not that known place to 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 perform my my own research somewhat. So actually, when I was in Australia, I got my own grant, so I could really perform my own my own my own research somewhat. Although it's it's always always relative, but um, yeah, yeah. But but I mean, um, sometimes. Uh, people is obsessed with uh, uh, research for the postdoc in the in the American in the United States universities, but sometimes the um, I don't know how to say this. Uh, I have the feeling this is personal opinion. Sometimes I think it's better to be in a place where you can feel happy or or feel good. Like uh, in your case, you you wanted to go to Australia, so uh, but at the same time you could do science. There, 
Okay, uh, that's also, I, I think from a point of view is is important for the for for people in order to have very good life experiences because some oh. people go to, go to the United States, spend some years in a very competitive university in the United States, but the ambient is very toxic. They don't enjoy the place, and and at the end, the sometimes the there are stories I have here, and they end up leaving academia or something. So. Yeah, well, I know. <clears throat> it's let's say this 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 competitive environment and so on. It's it's. Uh, I would say it's uh, very general in uh, in the academic world, uh, mm. not only in the US. Um, wherever I've been, I, after being in Australia, I moved to uh, I moved to Finland. Mm, I Finland. worked in Helsinki for two years. Uh, okay, a country is uh, very very different. Uh, mm-hmm. But that uh, overall, it's still academic world, and it's still quite competitive. It's still you mm-hmm. still scientists. You have to be productive. Uh, you have pressures all the time. In particular, yeah. when you're not permanent. But uh, even now, being permanent, if you want to to work properly, you need to you need still to be productive. You need to raise money. Mm-hmm. So it's. Um, but you, of course, you, it's a, it's a trend. You, you need to also enjoy your life to be able to work properly. It's, it's, uh, it's fully true. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you went to Finland, uh, which is, a, I guess, a good country for the study of low temperature system. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a very bad joke. I know. But I was in a low temperature lab. It was called so. Okay. Okay. And and then you move finally to to Karlsruhe. Yeah, so it was really uh I never dreamed to to work or live in, in Germany, but uh, it just happened. So it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's I don't know, it's uh I I met someone who advised me about this the the position I, I got and uh, yeah, I finally applied. I went there. It, my interviews went pretty well, and and yeah, so I got the position, and finally turned to permanent stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now now you are in Karlsruhe, uh, you have a permanent position, you do your research, you are leading a group, a group there, and then uh, how do you spend your, your time mostly in in management, in the application to grants? How, how much time do you finally have for, for, for research at this at this stage of your career? Uh, I would dare to say that research is also about uh, management, about grant application. And, uh, I think it's also a part of your of your of your uh, let's say of the research that you do because managing uh, the students, for example, or postdocs, interacting with them, you also have to. To teach them how to do research, you have to show them things. You have to advise them. You have mm-hmm. to guide them. That's right. mostly how I see myself. Mm-hmm. Um, for the grant application, well, you you don't write grant applications without having a certain knowledge, and this knowledge you actually use it for your own research and and for your your future projects. So I think it's it's a whole thing in uh, by itself. So. 
but of course, uh, research, it's about, in, in my case, it's about the experimental work. It's about mm -hmm. understanding uh, the physics of, of what I'm doing. It's about uh, uh, writing articles, about um, treating data, about performing really the experiment. In my case, cooling down my cryostat and, mm -hmm. and, and things like this. So it's um, every day is, uh, is rather different. I, that's also one reason why I enjoy what I do. Mm -hmm. It's not like uh, every day is the same. It's uh, I can manage my time in a very uh, different way. So mm -hmm. I, I do really various things. Okay, and how how do you? Uh, I'm curious. How do you manage your your time? Because uh, as as you said before, uh, in the life of research, there are many things to do, very different things to do, totally different. Huh. How do you manage this? Do you have a plan in advance about the things you will do during the week or, or how do you plan this? Well, let's say uh, I must admit that I'm possibly not the best uh, guy for, for time management. I, it went up to the point. I actually, when I, I think I was in the UK, I bought this, this book I have in my hand, uh, which is called Managing Time. Oh. And uh, <laughs> I tried to save my time because I thought I was I was like dispersing myself uh, too quickly. Sometimes I, I I I I deal with something in the end. I I think it's 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 not the right direction, so I should change. So I try to be more efficient. So I read this book. I sort of figured out how how to apply this to what I was doing, but. Uh, in the end, I, I wonder whether it was just myself who uh, I was worried about 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 what I was doing, the way I was doing things. Uh, I was thinking that I was wasting time, but actually mm -hmm. maybe not that much. Uh, so now I think I'm much more, um, I don't know. Experienced. Experienced somewhat, for sure. And... Uh, Let's say yeah, um, I can I can I can bear uh, wasting time, you no know, like things that do not work well. They do not work, and mm -hmm. when it when it doesn't work, well, you actually learn something. <laughs> you learn right, not to right. do it again. Okay, exactly. so it's, uh, you learn out of your of your mistakes, and uh, mistakes I do plenty. I guess uh, like mm. like like everyone. Like everyone, yeah, T totally. Right, right. And what what is the the part of your day that you enjoy the most regarding your research? I'm French. It must be lunch. But, uh... Lunch. <laughs> 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 That's very important. <laughs> uh, uh, for sure. No, no. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't know. It's. Uh, uh, I like having a, a, a good. It's a. I like having a good scientific discussion. With someone, and 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 finally realizing uh, that I possibly understood something, like yeah, yeah. So that that is um, or, or not necessarily uh, discussing with someone. I, I could even like read a paper and then read an article for for the first time. You read a paper, you say that sounds interesting, but I don't think I understood everything. Mm -hmm. so I, I read it again. I still think it's interesting, but not sure if I understood everything. 
I read it the mm. third time, the fourth time, and then the fifth time, suddenly I, I kind of realized something. And that, that no, I, maybe not I understood really everything, but I, I think I understood something. And that, that gives me a lot of satisfaction somewhat. So when I realized mm. that I, I kind of got a new knowledge, and a new way of uh, understand, as understanding what I'm doing. Mm. I think that's very important uh, uh, when one is you know, on, on research and one decides, decides to go on research for this long career uh, to enjoy this kind of parts of, of the work. Otherwise, it's, it's very hard to keep so many um, years. It's, uh, like, it's, it's, it's like in everyday life. You have to try to mm. stay positive, to be optimistic. Otherwise, mm. I doubt you can go forward. Yeah, totally, totally agree, totally agree. Okay. Sometimes just... it's not that easy, you know. There, no, there, there's no, no. plenty <laughs> of parts that I do not necessarily enjoy, but uh, I don't know. I try to <laughs> I try to turn things in more enjoyable uh, way. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, you have to, anyway. yeah, you have to stay positive and. Uh, any tip? Any tip for staying positive? Mostly for PhD students that are listen, listening now to the podcast. Uh, uh, to me, the extremely important thing, and it's I would say it's uh, of course for for PhD students, for but for everyone, you, you have one thing that is very important in doing uh, research and and science. It's staying motivated. Right. It's right. it's 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 the most important thing. You might not be the smart smartest person in the world, but you will still try to understand things. You will, you will, you will, you will really make progress. You will. Um, it's it, to me. It's really a motivation is the is the big thing. Right. It's right. it's it's if you're not motivated, then you should not do research. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I would only uh, perhaps warn when people are too optimistic and then they are facing a, a dead end road and then and they don't realize about it. And they are constantly crashing their head against a wall. Uh, okay, so sometimes over optimism from a point of view is not beneficial. But uh, some optimism, as Roma says, is kind of mandatory if, if you want to keep on on this. Yeah, I, you, st you, st you still have to be uh, realistic. So there are things yeah. that are possible and others that are not. Okay. I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. So, well, I think it's getting very long. We are past the usual 30 minutes of, of the show. So uh, now, Roma, we usually have, um, we, we ask you now if you want to leave a question for the next researcher that we will interview. Aha, uh -huh. and, 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 and I don't know who's gonna be the next one, yeah? No, you don't know, neither I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. So, uh, so an, uh, uh, an, an possibly an interesting question, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, sure. Yeah, well, well, why not? <laughs> why not? Why not? 
Um, maybe uh, since I personally had, I, I think I had some 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 time management issues. Mm -hmm. I would ask the next uh, interviewee um, wh uh, whether uh, she or he has a trick to manage its uh, own time. Okay. In a, within a day, which which is not only your time in the lab or at, at your institute, uh, but also with your with your family. Me as right. a scientist, I I very often uh, think about my work wherever I am. It mm -hmm. can be with my family. It can be <laughs> when I'm traveling wherever mm -hmm. in a train in a in the metro, in a bus, in a plane, in my bed. Okay. <laughs> in front of my coffee in the morning. So, and I sometimes even wake up at night mm. thinking about 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 uh, about experiments or, or things like this. So I don't know how other people are are dealing with these kind of uh, issues. Okay. Okay. Very, very interesting question. And then, yeah. Okay. So I, I take note of this question and yeah. And I can briefly tell you that, uh, one of the next people that we will interview here is an expert on productivity. So this question comes perfect for the next show. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Omar. You're okay. <laughs> so, uh, um, in the episode, in the in the notes of the episode, you will find all information about Roma, his lab, his publications. Uh, we will add some links to uh, most of the things that Roma said about the graphene and, and his lab. And well, thanks for thanks for listening. Thanks Roma for the for accepting the invitation to the show. And wish you a lot of success and enjoyment in your research. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Researching the Research. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If that was the case, then I would be very happy if you subscribe to the show in any of the platforms it is available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Or suggest it to other people you think it might be interested on it. You can also rate the show with four or five stars if you like, and that will help me a lot in the promotion of the podcast. In the episode's notes, you will find additional information and also some links to a Telegram group where we discuss in a more engaged way about the podcast episode and other unreleased material, and also my research consultancy website in case you want to receive more information about the productivity techniques discussed or regarding how to improve your critical research processes. Thanks a lot for listening, and I hope to meet you again in the next episode of the podcast. Bye.